0: January of 2018 was a really unique month in the life of our church. We had reached a point where we had outgrown the space that we were meeting in on Main Street. We were also coming to the end of that lease. The month of January was the last month of our time there. And God had also opened this incredible opportunity through Shepherd Staff Ministries for us to begin meeting here. But if you were here during that time, you know that this space was anything but ready for a church to meet here. And so we had basically one month to get this space that was really a few classrooms and then an open warehouse that hadn't been used for anything congregational like this in a while. We had that, that month to put all of this together. And so for the month of January, the, the focus of our church was kind of different. Because every day, Monday through Friday, and then sometimes on the weekends as well, from mid-afternoon, sometimes until late into the night, we had people from the church here working. Building and painting and moving things and arranging things and organizing things and doing the best we could to get this space ready so that at the beginning of February 2018, we would be able to meet in here as a church and to worship God together. And what's amazing about that is it has a real throwback vibe to it, to the ancient world and the building of temples. You see, when a temple was being built, the priest would oversee the construction. The priest would be the general contractor for that season and oversee all the things that were going on. And the people and all the laborers and all the workers would come together and they would go about the work of building the temple. And they would do that day and night until the temple was finally finished and then it would be dedicated to God. And then that priest who was operating as the general contractor would go into a time of rest. But that doesn't mean that he would take some time off or take some vacation. This rest was actually a priestly rest. And so the priest would rest from this work of doing all these things that weren't part of his normal job and his normal duties, and then he would take up the work of being a priest again, and he would go into the temple and do what he was called to do, and it was called rest. In the same way, in Genesis chapter 1, where we've been now for several weeks, as we look through Genesis chapter 1 through 11 over these next few months— In Genesis chapter 1, we see God not only creating the world, but we see God building a temple, a place in which he is going to dwell and reside, and there are going to be people lifting him up and worshiping him, and he is going to be the great high priest over that world. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see God put that temple together, and then in Genesis chapter 2, we see this incredible passage where God rests. But his rest is also a priestly rest, going in and resting from creation and taking on the work of governing and ruling over his world and being the high priest of his creation. And so each week as we've been going through Genesis, we've been looking at characteristics of God as revealed to us in these opening chapters of the Bible. And we've been seeing what it teaches about God and who he is. And then because of that, who that means we are and how we should live and how we should move and how we should act. And so this morning, we are going to look at the God who works and rests. And hopefully through seeing his incredible divine cosmic example, we're going to learn to do the same as well. And so our text this morning comes from Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished from his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, as always, we just thank you for who you are and how you reveal yourself so perfectly and wonderfully to us in a way that we can know and understand. But God, I also thank you that you know us intimately well and that because you made us and because you created us, you know what we need and you know what's good for us and that, God, you model that through your own life. And so, God, today as we look at your work and your rest, Teach us to be people who both work and rest in a way that honors you, in a way that reflects your glory and your goodness, in a way that is good for us and helps us to go out and to continue doing our ultimate work of sharing the gospel, loving our neighbors, and caring for those in need. So God, we do ask, as always, that you speak through your word and that you help us to know you more so that we can love you more and that we will leave this place radically unchanged, by the truth of your gospel. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's start by looking at God at work. And so if you were here a few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, the first two verses. And in those verses, we see God creating the heavens and the earth, but the earth is radically different. It says that the earth is dark and it is formless and it's empty. And it's in that moment that God rolls up his sleeves and he gets to work. And he begins to create. And he says, let there be light. And there was light. And he separates the light from the dark. And he creates these days and these nights and these seasons. He separates the sky from the seas and then pulls the waters back and brings about dry land. And then he blesses that land and says, okay, now bring forth plants and vegetation of every kind. And the world starts to be formed and filled and becomes beautiful. And then God sets all the birds of the sky in their place and all the fish of the sea in theirs. And then on the sixth day, we see God call the land to bring forth all these living creatures that are coming after their own kinds. And the world is buzzing with life and it is filling up. And then God reaches into the dirt and fashions for himself humanity made in his own image to bring him all the glory and all the honor and all of the praise. There was nothing And then there was everything. And it was all the work of one God. And I love how the psalmist describes it in Psalm chapter 8. In the first four verses of Psalm 8, the psalm says, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, and out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens... The work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the sons of man that you care for him? You see, the Psalmist looked at this big, beautiful creation that God had set in a place and couldn't help but be in awe, saying, "Look at this miraculous and amazing thing that God has shaped and fashioned without help from anywhere else. He's done all of these things for His glory and for our good. And in the same way, when we look at creation, when we look at this world in which we get to live, we should see the beauty of an artist's heart, a God who created with passion and love, but we should also see the meticulous, careful attention to detail of a master craftsman who put everything where it should go and keeps everything in motion and a God who compassionately painted the sky with its blue and the trees with their green and put every color exactly where it should go. We see the amazing work of God's hands. So often, we think of work as a bad thing. And work can be incredibly difficult. And for most of us, in fact, work is difficult and hard. And so it can be easy to look at work as an inherently negative thing. And if you've been in church for a long time and you know some church lingo and some church language, then maybe we can directly associate work with the fall that we'll get to when we get to Genesis chapter three. After we see sin enter God's good creation, we find this curse that's placed on work. And we can say, look, see, work is a result of sin. It's a result of the fall. Work is an inherently bad thing. But several weeks ago, We looked at the idea that God is a good God who only does good things. And everything God does and everything God creates, everything God makes, everything God thinks is all good. And so here, if we have a God who works and a God who values work and puts an emphasis on work, then we should recognize that work itself is good. And as we'll see, that doesn't mean it's not hard. And work has been tainted and broken because of sin. And we'll see that we do have a hope for a day when one day work is made easy and light. But even now, as we work and as God is guiding and leading us, work is a good part of God's good design, and we need to learn to see it that way. And so when we look at Scripture and we think about this four-letter word of work and what Scripture teaches us that it is, we can see a few different things. First, work is an expression of God's image. And the psalmist talks about that, about how work helps us to reflect the glory and the goodness of God. Picking up in verse 5 of chapter 8, he says, yet you have made him, humanity, lower than the heavenly beings, and crown, a little lower than the heavenly beings, and crowned him with honor and with glory. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When the psalmist thinks about the commandment and the instruction for people to be workers and to be caretakers of God's good creation, he doesn't see it as something that's negative, but something that shows the majesty and the glory of God and something that we should be humbled by and something that we should be honored by. Because in essence, we get to be God's subcontractors. We get to be God's managers. All of this amazing thing that God has created, we get to have governance and rule over it. And part of our purpose and part of our meaning as God's creation is that we should work the things that God has given us. And when we do that, it helps us to reflect the character of a God who works. And when we do that well, when we do that with out grumbling or complaining, as Paul tells us to do, then we reflect God's goodness. We reflect God's kindness. We reflect God's mercy. But not only that, but work is an expression of worship. We're told in Scripture to do all things to the glory of God. Whether we're eating or drinking, anything that we find ourselves doing, anything that we find our hands taking up, we should do it not simply because we get a paycheck or not simply because we feel obligation, but because God has called us to be good, diligent workers, and we should look at that as an opportunity to worship God through whatever we do. We can be very guilty of thinking that the only way that we can worship God is when we're here together singing songs or spending quiet time alone in our rooms, maybe reading scripture and prayer. But in the life of a Christian, everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think, every action that we take, every breath should be an act of praise to God, including the way in which we work. In fact, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, that for a Christian that we were saved by God's grace, by God's work, by what Jesus did for us on our behalf. And he did that so that we could have a relationship with God and so that we can walk in good works that were prepared for us before the foundation of the world, before a sprout broke through dirt for the very first time. God had a plan for each and every one of us and he designed works for us to walk in and had gifted us and equipped us to do incredibly special things for his glory, for our good, and for the good of those around us. But also work is a commandment. If we look at the end of Genesis chapter one, after the creation of humanity, we see this delegation that God gives out. And in verse 28 of Genesis 1, it says, God blessed them, humanity, and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God continues to tell them, I have given you all of this so that you can work it and so that you can tend to it because you have purpose and you have value and you have meaning in my creation. We see again in the book of Exodus, as God lays out the Ten Commandments for his people as they leave captivity in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, God says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to your Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work or your son or your daughter or male servant or your female servant or your livestock or sojourner in your gates. For in six days God made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And now often when we look at that passage of scripture, we focus on the Sabbath and on the rest part because it's easy to focus on the rest part. It's exciting to think about the fact that God commands us to rest. But the other side of that is we're told, six days you shall labor, and on the seventh day you shall work. And so work, or excuse me, rest. So work itself is part of this commandment that God has given us. But like all of our commandments, all the things that God tells us to do inside of Scripture, they're not arbitrary, they're not meaningless. But they're all carefully designed by a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And so when God gives us a commandment, we know that these are things that are good for us. And so it's good for us to be active. It's good for us to work. It's good for us to take the gifts and the skills and the ability that God has given us, no matter what they are, none more valuable than any other, and put those things to work as an act of worship to God, as an act of living out our purpose that God has given us, and then as a way to love and serve those around us. And when we find that when we get in that rhythm of work and rest, that it leads to a healthy life, it leads to a holy life, and it leads to a life that honors and glorifies God. But then also we see in Scripture that work is eternal. And this is one of the things that I don't think we pay attention to a lot. Because in Hebrews, we see phrases like God calling us once we pass through this life and into life beyond this life. Jesus calls us to enter into his rest. And sometimes we can mistake that as some sort of weird eternal slumber party where we all get our own cloud and maybe our own harp, and it's just delightful elevator music for all of eternity. And we just hang out and eat grapes. I don't know why. Grapes seem very heavenly food because you can eat them like this. (laughs) And so we think that that's just what eternity is all going to look like, just a time of laying around and resting. But the reality is eternity with Christ is an eternity of rest. But it's a priestly rest because we find in Revelation that we're called to enter into that new life with God. When Jesus makes all things right and all things new, that we'll be able to rest from sin, to rest from shame, to rest from guilt, to rest from all the things that cause us pain and heartache and brokenness, all those things that weigh us down. Even death itself will rest from these things that are great burdens and enter into a rest that will never pass away we also get the opportunity to rest from our kingdom work. Because we know as we looked through the book of Luke just a few months ago that it's our calling to go out and to be kingdom builders, to share the good news of Jesus Christ everywhere we go by speaking about the gospel, loving and serving our neighbors, and caring for those who are in need and weak and broken. And we have this incredible opportunity to go out and do that and participate in kingdom work. But one day we're going to stand before God and we're going to lay that work at his feet and he'll look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant come into the kingdom that you've been helping me build and we'll get to lay down that side of our work as well but that doesn't mean that we'll be done with work forever in fact when we look at isaiah chapter 65 as isaiah gets this vision for what eternity looks like when he talks about this new heaven and this new earth this is how isaiah describes our eternity He says, "For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. For the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever that in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad for my people. No more shall be heard in the sound of weeping and the cry of distress." No more shall there be in it an infant who lives, but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For a young man shall die at a hundred years old, and a sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. Like for the days of a tree shall be the days of my people, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Listen to this in verse 23. They shall not labor in vain, or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ass, and the uh, excuse me, an ox, and the dust shall be a serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain says the Lord. I love that phrase there they shall not labor in vain. All the results of the fall that we're going to talk about in just a few weeks, as we see pain and childbirth and the world itself, the earth itself, the ground itself being broken and cursed because of sin, the ground fighting back against humanity as we labor with it, all those things will be taken away. And so we'll still work, we'll still build houses, we'll still do all these things that we're called to do and use all these gifts and skills that God has given us, but we'll do them not laboring in vain or not laboring in pain, but doing so fully realized by the God who created us and gifted us to do these things. You see, work is God's design for this world, and so because of that, it will never pass away. He's given each and every one of us gifts and skills and abilities that we have specifically for a purpose and that purpose doesn't pass away with death and that purpose doesn't pass away with new creation. We'll have this purpose in our work for all of eternity and so we have to learn to see the God who works and recognize that he's created us to do that as well because we were made in his image and learn how to work well while our labor is full of pain and difficulty so that one day we'll be able to fully rejoice when God lifts those restraints, when God lifts that burden and we're able to labor the way that we're called to labor in peace and prosperity in the kingdom of God forever. And so God works, and so should we. But also in this passage of scripture, we see God at rest. Six days in Genesis chapter one, God labors, God works, God builds, God creates. But then the seventh day is different. And if you were here, when we looked at Genesis chapter 1, there's a very distinct pattern throughout this entire passage of Scripture. It's a creative and beautiful and wonderful piece of literature. It's a piece of prose. And in this, there's so much repetition, phrases like, and God said, and there was, repeated over and over from day to day. There was evening and there was morning This first day. There was evening and there was morning the third day. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day. All of these things repeated over and over again, getting us in this rhythm of God's creation, helping us to see the beauty of God's creation. And when you're reading Hebrew literature like this, when you're reading Hebrew prose like this, the pattern and the repetition is really important. And it's also really important to pay attention when that pattern shifts and when that pattern changes. And that's exactly what happens on day seven of this creation story. We see, it says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he'd done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he has done in creation. And so we see some of the patterns begin to change. We don't see the, on the blank day, God created this. In fact, nothing new is created on day seven. We don't see the evening and the morning. We don't see the same repetitions throughout Genesis chapter one, but there are new repetitions in this passage. We see the phrase seventh day repeated three times. In each of the other days of creation, they're each just mentioned one time, but then God chooses to speak three times about the seventh day, showing us incredible importance and value, showing us that something is different and something has changed. We also see the phrases finished and rested repeated two times each, showing us the full completion of everything that's happened says that God rested from the work that he was doing. God rested from his activity. God finished all of the creative action that he was going to do. And so just to make it very clear, everything that God was creating, everything that God was making, he finished it once and for all. And then we see something truly amazing about day seven. Because as I said, each of these other days in Genesis chapter one had this phrase at the end, there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the fifth day showing us this idea of completion, that this day, that this season of God's creation had come to an end. But there's no end to the seventh day of creation. There's no phrase that puts an end cap on day seven when God rests. And so what we see happening here is that God was doing all of this creative work, and then he takes up his priestly work, his priestly rest of governing the world that he created. And the seventh day of God resting from creation and overseeing all the things that he had made and being carefully and intricately involved in all of the day-to-day goings-on of the world that he created, this seventh day would last from generation until generation until generation until in the fullness of time at the exact moment that God had ordained before the foundations of the earth, when everything had come to that exact moment when God wanted to bring about the restoration of his people, God, as Paul tells us, sent forth his son, born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And Jesus grew and wisdom, and stature, and favor with men, and he began to go around teaching and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom all over the region, like we saw through the book of Luke, and Jesus was healing people, and caring for the sick, and the broken, and in need, and sinners, and saints alike, and he was on this collision course with the city of Jerusalem, and then he rides into Jerusalem on the first day of the week, a week now that we call Holy Week, A day that we call and we remember as Palm Sunday when Jesus rides into the city of Jerusalem to the adoration and cheers of the people. And so he rides in on Sunday and for the first few days of the week he's teaching and he's confronting religious leaders. And by the end of the week, the religious leaders get exactly what they want. And they have him arrested. And they put him on trial. And he's found guilty even though he's committed no crimes. And then on Friday, what we now call Good Friday, the Son of God offered himself into the hands of creation that had turned against him and suffered immeasurable physical pain and was nailed to a criminal's cross and breathed his last. But before he did, he said, It is finished. There was evening and there was morning the seventh day. Because on that next Sunday morning, after Jesus rested on the seventh day in the tomb, On that first Sunday of new creation, God brings forth Jesus from the tomb and breaks into this broken and fallen world, what Paul calls the first fruits of new creation, as Jesus is raised from the dead and begins this new work of God, bringing about new creation, not simply in that moment, but offering to all of us, to anyone who would trust in Christ, the opportunity to not simply be saved from our sins, but to be made into new creations and be given a promise that one day If we trust in Christ and enter a death like his, we will also have a resurrection like his. And so that's what we're going to celebrate this morning as we see Nat go into those waters of baptism as she's laid back in death and raised again to new life. We are reminded that that seventh day of rest has come to an end and that God is creating a new inside each and every one of us. And when someone trusts in Christ for salvation, we get to see and experience personally the God who creates and does good things. But back to rest. What do we learn about God and his rest when we see this in Genesis chapter 2? First, we see that God finishes what he started. The text here wants to make that very clear. It says, when the earth and heavens were finished, all the host of them on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So he blessed it and made it holy because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. I am a master of starting things. I start so many things, a lot of things. It has to drive my wife crazy because I start a million things, sometimes all at the same time. It doesn't matter if it's a project. It doesn't matter if it's a book. It's a drawing. It could be anything that happens. I am really good at starting it and really bad at finishing it. But not God. God always finishes what he starts. God always keeps the promises that he makes. And when God begins something, he sees it come to its fruition. And so we see a God here who is not careless or wandering off, but that God started his creation and that God finished his creation. And because we have that promise that one day our work here is going to be finished, our kingdom work here is going to be finished, and that we can enter into the kingdom of God, that we can enter into the rest of God, we can hold on to that promise because we know that if God has promised to make everything right and everything new, that he will in his timing, and he'll do all the things that he's promised. But we also learn here that God governs and guides his creation. Sometimes it's easy to feel very distant from God. Sometimes we can feel like God is not active, that God is not working, that God is somewhere off in the distance and we're here just trying to fend for ourselves. That yes, maybe God created the world and yes, maybe God cares about the world, but he probably just set it in motion, spun it into existence and then walked away. But that's not what we see here. We see a God who carefully and meticulously built for himself a temple, not so that he could leave it or walk away, but that God is here and active and present in the life of this world and also in the life of each and every one of us. There's not a blade of grass that comes from the ground that God doesn't know. Jesus tells us that there's not a sparrow that falls from the sky, that God is not aware of it, that God knows each and every one of us, that God knows us down to the most intimate detail of who we are, and he loves us, and he is actively moving in our lives. And because of that, we see that God cares for us, that God loves us. And we see that maybe no more clear in this entire passage than in Genesis chapter 2, where God rests. Because as we've seen, God is all-powerful. God has the ability to speak creation into existence, that creating something from nothing is nothing to God. And so God doesn't need to rest. God doesn't need to take a break. He could have created here and then moved on and done that a million times and not have broken a sweat at all. And yet God chooses to rest. Because even though he doesn't need it, he knows that we do. Because work is hard work is difficult. There are some days and weeks and maybe years and maybe decades that grind us down. It wears on our bodies. It wears on our minds. It wears even on our spirits. And if you've had seasons or maybe you're in a season now where it's just work and work and work and work and it feels like it never ends, you know full well that that can be so crippling and crushing. And so because of that, God gives us that command in Exodus chapter 20. He says, you work six days, you labor six days, but then you rest and you keep that rest holy and you protect that rest. And throwing back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, Exodus tells us because God labored six days in making all of this, because God created for six days and then God rests, you honor and mirror that in your lives because you really need it. But God cares about us, and so he designed it so that we can see the importance of rest. And so what does that look like for us? What does rest, particularly Sabbath rest, look like in the life of God's people? For starters, we need to recognize that rest restores. That rest has incredible importance in our lives, and we should utilize it. In fact, we're commanded to utilize it. But rest isn't simply taking a break, but we should seek after rest for the purpose of restoration. To allow our bodies, to allow our minds, to allow our spirits to be healed and put back together and restored so that we can continue the work that we're called to do. We don't rest from our work. We rest so that we can continue our work, so that we can do what we're called to do well. But rest not only restores, it also sanctifies It makes us more and more like Christ. It sets us apart to make us more like who we were designed to be because it's in those periods of rest where we're able to stop being busy, stop moving around, and actually be still and know that he's God and to listen to God in those times of rest. Because while we're called to be busy, while we're called to work, too much busyness easily distracts us from knowing God and growing deeper in our relationship with God and becoming more like Christ. And so rest gives us that opportunity to be more like God. And then when we do, when we make the conscious choice to rest, we are reflecting the goodness and the glory of God. Because we're going to say that there is no hobby, there's no job, there's not even money, power, fame, or wealth, or any of the things that we can get from working excessively. None of those things are more important than my time with God. None of those things are more important than my ability to reflect the goodness and mercy of God. And so when we rest, it is still an act of worship just like our work, because it's our way of saying that there is nothing more important than remembering our time with God, remembering our rest, and keeping it holy. And so how do we do that? How do we reflect this rest in our lives? Well, first, we need to be people who finish what we start. All through the New Testament, we are told that one of the marks of true Christianity is perseverance that we are going to go through difficult times, that we are going to go through difficult seasons. In fact, we are promised that there will be times in each and every one of our lives where we are going to suffer, we're going to be in pain, whether that's physical, spiritual, emotional, mental, or all of those things wrapped up together. There are going to be times when life is hard and when work is hard, and when we are going to be called to persevere through that and to finish what we start whether that's in our jobs, whether that's in schools, whether that's with our families, or whether that's the more important spiritual things that we're called to do about going and ministering to others and loving our neighbors as ourselves. We need to be people who put priority on finishing what we start and persevering even through difficult seasons. We also, again, rest to make sure that we continue our work. To recognize that we are not as good, worn out, tired, and broken as we are filled with rest and ready to go. And so we need to be intentional during those seasons of rest, during those times of rest, making sure that we are preparing ourselves to be able to get up and go. To not just go on autopilot, to not just crash and wipe away, but to say, I am using this time intentionally so that tomorrow I can get up and I can continue doing what God has called me to do and to be a light to Christ in the places in which God has placed me. And then we need to keep our rest holy. It can be very easy sometimes to forget this side of rest. Because usually the places we feel most tired are physically and emotionally Mentally, it's easy to ignore the spiritual fatigue. And so it can be very easy to just think about rest in those terms purely. I just need a brain break. I just need to rest my body for a little while. I just need to rest all of who I am. But we neglect the spiritual side of rest. And so we need to be very careful to make sure that our rest is holy that we are being still to know that he's God, that we are spending time in God's word, that we're spending time resting in prayer, that we're resting in the refuge of Christ, not simply escaping our work, but again, allowing Christ to prepare us and using that time to draw closer to God. And so just like we don't need to labor in vain, we cannot let our rest be in vain either. And so we have this God who both works and rests and calls us to do the same. And I would imagine that for most of us in here, we are bad at one of those. Maybe sometimes both, maybe it fluctuates, but at some point in time, we can be bad at work or we can be bad at rest, and we need to learn how to do both of those things as spiritual disciplines and spiritual practices, using them to grow closer to God, to reflect His glory and His image, using them to care for our bodies and for our spirits that God has given us, and then also using those things for the good of others, to love our neighbors, to care for those in need, and to continue spreading the gospel. And so because we have a God who both works and rests, let's be a people who work and rest. Let's pray.